reading this morning is taken from Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, page 1094 on the church Bibles, or 1659, if like me you have the large print version. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came to saying to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade, Why does this When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes from God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with size of the prophet, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. 
the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become for their cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Morning all. Let's pray, shall we, as we come to God's word. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is trustworthy and true. And as we come to your word now, Lord, would you please open your word up to us? And would you open us up to your word that we might know you better, that we might love you more? and that we might stand for you more bravely in your world. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I think it's fair to say that the first two chapters of Acts that we've been looking at over previous weeks are two of the most uplifting chapters in all of Scripture. Acts chapter 1, we see this great promise from Jesus, the gift of the Spirit, a gift that will enable the movement of the gospel to the very ends of the earth. 
Then at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of that promise at Pentecost when God pours out his spirit on all people. The lead apostle Peter then stands up to proclaim the gospel in the power of the spirit and people get saved. The New Testament church is born. And then last time round, we had that lovely glimpse, that precious insight at the end of Acts chapter 2 into the New Testament church. What did these people do when they came together? What did they prioritize? And I don't know about you, but I found that a pretty refreshing experience. You see, we live, I think, in an age which everything that we hear about the church is pretty much negative all the time. Whether that's bad press externally or whether it's negative chat internally, everything that we hear about the church is seemingly so bleak and depressing. Yet in that little section at the end of Acts chapter 2, Luke gives us an alternative picture of what the church really can look like. He raises the bar for us to see what life can really be like in the local church. And as we saw last time round, we saw a church that is devoted to God supremely above all other things. We saw a church committed deeply in love to one another. And we saw a church that is open to the world, not inward looking upon itself, but open to this world, actively engaged in the lives of the people of this world, and therefore a church that is ultimately for the good of all society. And so as we leave Acts chapter 2, I think we leave with a sense of expectation as to what God is graciously going to do by the power of his Spirit through this weak yet willing people. And so the good ship Christchurch, if you like, leaves port with the wind of the Spirit in its sails. The gospel is on the move and all looks good for the church as it begins its voyage. But if we thought the rest of Acts was going to be plain sailing for the church, then we'd be wrong. Because as Luke records for us in Acts chapter 4, the first significant storm of many hits the church. And Luke records for us this first significant moment of opposition to the gospel and to the advancement of God's church. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail, preaching the next day. It's an opposition that is triggered primarily by the preaching of the gospel. Do you see that in verse 2? And a preaching that is centered on the resurrection of Jesus, which has implications for all people. But before we come to look at that opposition in Acts chapter 4 and think about how that works itself out for us as a church today, I want us to step back and come back to Acts chapter 3 first of all. As we look at this healing of this cripple, a sign as I've called it, and the subsequent preaching of the gospel, the sermon that inevitably then leads to the opposition that results. So firstly we have the sign in Acts chapter 3. And as we saw last week on the screen, Acts 2, verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And here in Acts chapter 3, verse 1 to 10, we have just one of those signs. There were many signs that God did through his apostles to authenticate their authority and their teaching. But here we have just one. 
And so picture the scene as we come to Acts chapter 3. It's 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray. And as they arrive towards the temple courts, they approach through the gate that is known as Beautiful the main access point to the temple courts. And as they do, they're brought to a halt by the desperate pleas of this needy man. Here's a guy who has never walked. Acts chapter 4, verse 22, for 40 years of his life, he has never known the joy and the freedom and the liberation of James walking. And day after course, his friends place him in the same spot on the way to the temple courts in the hope that these so-called religious people, as they make their way to the temple, would pray, would do something for a man in need. And when Peter and John walked past, he asked them for money, verse 3. as no doubt he did to every person walking through. Verse 4, they looked directly at him. That in itself would have been a blessing for this guy. Most people wouldn't even have given him the time of day. And they look directly at him and they get his attention. And verse 5, this man now is expecting something from them, right? And he gets something from them. But he gets far more than he bargained for, verse 6. Look what Peter says. Silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have... I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. What is it that Peter has? He hasn't got silver and gold. What I do have, I give to you. What does he have? He has authority. As an apostle of Christ, he has a God-given authority over this sick and broken world. As one author points out, the power is Christ's. But the hand was Peter's. And verse 7, he takes this man by the right hand and he helps him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles become strong. (laughs) This is a neurological and a physiological miracle. Nerve pathways that have never worked, never sent the messages from the brain down to his legs, suddenly spring into life. Muscles that have never contracted once in his legs in all his days suddenly become strong. His legs and ankles become strong and he leaps to his feet, praising God. What a quite remarkable picture this is of restoration, isn't it? And as we'll see when we come to the sermon that follows, this is just a taster This moment of restoration that we see in this one lame cripple is just a taster of the full and the final restoration that one day Christ will bring in when he returns. You see, it's why miracles in the Bible are often called signs, because they point us forward to a fuller and even more glorious time. I don't know whether anyone knows what this flower is up here on the screen. Any ideas? Snowdrop. And who can tell me what's significant about the snowdrop? When does it come out? Before anything else. Right at the end of winter, before spring arrives, so up pops the snowdrop, right? And what a beautiful thing it is in itself. The snowdrop is a beautiful thing. But it's more than that. 
It's a sign that points us forward. It is a sign that winter is coming to an end. It is a sign that spring is around the corner. And so you see, so it is with the miracles in the Bible. They are beautiful things on their own right. Look at this testimony, this story here. A lame man gets up and walks because of the power of Christ. What a beautiful moment. But but it's more than that. It points the sea forward. It points us forward to the fact that the season of this life is coming to an end. The season of living in a world broken and tainted by sin. And the new creation of spring is around the corner. You see, that's the purpose of miracles in the Bible. They point us forward to a fuller and richer and more final reality. You see, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns from his position in glory... He won't just return to restore one man to health. He will return to restore the whole cosmos. The whole of creation will be restored when the Lord Jesus returns. And on that day, every single person that trusts in Jesus Christ will be dancing for joy. Like the lame beggar that we see in Acts chapter 3. It's not surprising, is it, when you see a sign like that, that it draws a crowd in verse 11. The people come flocking. And what's also not surprising is that when a crowd gathers, Peter takes the opportunity to preach. Just as he does in Acts chapter 2, we have a sign, and Peter then preaches to explain that sign. Acts chapter 3, we have the same thing, another sign. And Peter again stands up to explain the significance of it. And so we come to the sermon. We have a sign that points forward to Jesus, and we have a sermon that speaks of Jesus. Have a look at verse 12. When Peter saw this, the people gathering, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power, just as godliness, we had made this walk? Just as we'll see with Paul and Barnabas in Lystra, In Acts chapter 14, Peter and John begin by deflecting the attention away from themselves. Do you see that? Why are you staring at us? Why are you putting us in the center of this picture as if it's our power? As if it's our godliness by which this man walks? It's not about us, say Peter and John. It's about Jesus. Remember the Pentecost sermon again and again. This Jesus, this Jesus, this Jesus, this Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And Acts chapter 3 is no different. Whenever Peter preaches, it is all about this Jesus. All preaching, all evangelism, if it's going to be effective, must be this Jesus-centered. And then Peter, like all trained preachers, goes on to give us a classic three-point sermon which we're going to review very briefly. And the first thing he says is this. God has glorified Jesus. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. This is the heart of what's going on. It's not primarily about the crowd. It's not even about the cripple. It's about Jesus. What you've just seen, says Peter, is about the glory of Jesus above everything. Yet this comes in complete contrast, doesn't it, to how the people have treated Jesus. Do you see that fourfold accusation that Peter lays at their feet? 
Verse 14, you handed him over to be killed. No, he's... Verse 14 again, you, you owned him before Pilate, even though he was innocent. Verse 15, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer, that's Barabbas, to be released instead. Verse 15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. You killed him, says Peter, but God crowned him. And what you've just witnessed here in the life of this lame man being restored to walking is the power of the risen and exalted Jesus from heaven. And that's what Acts is all about, isn't it? Remember the summary we look back in Acts chapter 1? It's not so much the Acts of the Apostles. It's not even so much the Acts of the Spirit. This is the Acts of Jesus. The ongoing ministry of Jesus by the power of his Spirit through his Apostles. As the great news of the gospel goes to the very ends of the earth. It's not about us, says Peter. It's about the glory of Jesus. And secondly, the prophets have been fulfilled. Verse 18. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets saying that his Messiah would suffer. Verse 21. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Verse 24, indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. That's why Peter begins with a question he does look in verse 12. Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Peter speaking to his social Jews, people who supposedly knew the Old Testament scriptures. And he's saying, why are you so shocked? Why are you surprised in terms of what you're witnessing? Every single prophet that has ever written has looked forward to this monumental day. The death, resurrection, exaltation of the Lord Jesus. And what he continues to do through his spirit in this world. Not just some prophets you see in verse 24, but all prophets. It's all about Christ, which is why it's so important that Jesus isn't ignored. Do you see that in verse 22 and 23? We get quite a significant warning. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. During the 1930s, Winston Churchill repeatedly, again and again, warned Britain and Western Europe of the dangers of Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany. And we look back now with hindsight and we go, "Cor, if only we'd have listened. If only we'd have listened to those repeated warnings again and again. You see, to ignore Winston Churchill in the 1930s was a huge mistake. To ignore the Lord Jesus and his kind, loving warnings is the ultimate mistake. Which brings us to the third point of Peter's sermon. All people must repent. Do you see it there in verse 19? Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. To repent is simply to turn around. To turn around from a life lived without God. And to turn around to God 
and to trust in Christ. And the moment that you do, the moment you trust in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then they're wiped out. Do you see that? Our sins are wiped out. And with it comes this wonderful sense of refreshment because we're not only free from guilt now, but God has secured for us for all time our eternity. Jesus calls all people to repent. And Peter says, let's not ignore Jesus. Let's listen to what Jesus has to say. And you see, if you are a Christian here this morning, as we review some of Peter's sermon, then I hope you sat there nodding your head in agreement saying, yeah, this is the gospel. It's the gospel that I know and love. But you know what? If you're not yet a Christian here this morning, maybe as you listen to Peter's sermon here in Acts chapter 3, maybe indeed as you hear something of, of, the, of the richer gospel that is before us in the scriptures, maybe there's something in there that you just don't like and you rile a little bit at it. You see, it's a message that isn't always received well today and it was no different in Acts chapter 4, which brings us lastly to the opposition. You see, the sign points forward to Jesus. The sermon speaks of Jesus. And thirdly, the opposition, Acts chapter 4, seeks to silence Jesus. Have a look at those just a few verses again. The preacher and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. The opposition comes in the form of censorship. They don't like the message. They don't want the message to be heard. So they lock up the messengers. But you see in verse four, it makes no difference. (laughs) Have a look at verse four. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The gospel kept moving and the church kept growing. You see, you can try and censor God's people. You can try and silence Jesus. You can try and squash the gospel out of the public sphere of life. But you know what? Ultimately, it will be to no avail. The gospel cannot be stopped on its march to the ends of this world. It's a point that the Apostle Paul makes to Timothy as he speaks to him in his second letter. It comes up again and again, this same principle. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, he says, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I'm suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Chain me up, says Paul. You cannot chain up the gospel. Lock me up, says Paul, but you cannot lock up the gospel. Jesus cannot be silenced. The gospel will go forth. Why? Because this, as we've been looking at in the book, making his mission unstoppable. A sovereign God is taking his gospel to the very ends of the earth. And no human being, no state rule or no religious authority can stop it happening. Doesn't prevent people trying, verse 7, but ultimately the gospel will triumph. Let me just read to you that little section from verse 7 to verse 12. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and had been asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You see, the title for this morning was Seeing Lives Changed by Christ. And in the life of Peter, we see just that, don't we? Here's a guy who months earlier had betrayed his great friend and master, denying him three times. Yet now here he is stood before the Jewish ruling authorities, empowered by the Spirit, proclaiming the gospel fearlessly. And you know what? This isn't a physical bravery. This isn't just something that Peter mustered up with himself. This isn't the impetuous Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane who, who leapt to Jesus' defense and swung his sword and cut off the ear of the soldier. This isn't physical bravery. This is moral courage. To stand before the ruling powers and to witness to the risen Jesus. It's a courage that we cannot muster up ourselves. But it's a courage that I think is fueled by at least two things in this story that we're going to touch on very briefly. Firstly, the sovereignty of God. Have a look at verse 23 and 24. We didn't read them earlier. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They pray to a sovereign God. They believe in a sovereign God. They know a sovereign God for whom all things in this world and in life are under his loving care and his sovereign rule. And when you get that, when you understand that not one thing in life happens without the say-so of God, he is sovereign over all things, then it takes away our worry, doesn't it? Whether that's in preaching and evangelism or any other area of life, God is in control of all the future, and we can trust him fully. And Peter and John knew it, and so they preached fearlessly. And then secondly, not only fueled by the sovereignty of God and a knowledge of who God is, but also by the Spirit of God. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. Peter and John are empowered by the Spirit as promised. Acts 1 verse 8, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And here that promise is being fulfilled in Jerusalem, stage one. Stage two will be Judea, then Samaria, and then the very ends of the earth. People witnessing, empowered by the Spirit. And what actually Peter says in these few verses is pretty straightforward, look. In verse 10, Jesus did the healing. If you want to know why this guy's dancing around praising God, Jesus did it. He's exalted in his heaven, and he healed him. But Jesus doesn't just do the healing, verse 10. 
Jesus does the saving in verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I remember being in an RS lesson on a on a school mission and it was a sort of organized debate. And one of the questions that came was the, the narrowness or the so-called exclusivity of the gospel. And they actually used this verse um, when we were in discussion. And my response to them was this. The Christian faith is both inclusive and exclusive. The gospel is a gospel for all. We've seen that already last week. Acts chapter 2 verse 21. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see the gospel is wonderfully for all people. No matter your background, your skin colour, how much money you have in your bank account, no matter how sinful you've been or how morally sound you've been, the gospel is a gospel for all. Everyone, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Promise. The gospel is wonderfully inclusive. Yet there is only one way to salvation through Jesus. Only by calling on his name. Salvation is found in no one else. No one comes to the Father but through me, says Jesus. The way is narrow only through Christ. But that way is wonderfully open to all people that would put their trust in him. And Peter's not scared to tell them. The ruling powers are a bit baffled by the courage look of these ordinary unschooled men in verse 13. And so they send them out to deliberate what to do. And they bring them back in, look, in verse 18. And this is their last attempt here to sense the gospel. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Stop it, they say. Just stop speaking about Jesus and look at the reply in verse 19 and 20 it's majestic isn't it but Peter and John replied which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him you be the judges as for us we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard which is right in God's eyes to listen to you they say or to Jesus To listen to a sinful, broken, ruling, worldly authority or to listen to the king of kings who rules all history. Jesus said, start speaking. You say, stop speaking. Who am I going to listen to? Who am I going to obey? Jesus. And you know what? When the authorities clamp down in our day and age, as they might possibly do in years down the line, when the state says, stop telling people about Jesus in the public square, who are we going to listen to? The state's. Or King Jesus, who rules all history. We keep speaking and we keep proclaiming whatever the cost. And verse 20, do you know what? It just doesn't matter because I can't help it anyway, says Peter. Say what you want. Go through all the arguments you'd like to. Here's the reality. I cannot help but speak about what I've seen and heard. I can't stop it. What Jesus has done is so outrageously good that I can't not tell people. I can't. I cannot keep this to myself. It's magnificent. Jesus died for sinners of whom I'm the worst. He has secured for me an eternity for all time. There is joy and everlasting pleasure in knowing Christ. Peter says, you think I can keep that to myself? Absolutely no danger. 
I am going to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't know whether you've ever put a yogurt pot out in the sun and left it out there, but it ferments, doesn't it? And the little top rises and then it, then it pops out and all the yogurt spills out. That's something of what Peter felt. God has stirred his heart by his spirit. The gospel is true. It's real. It matters. And Peter and John say, we cannot help it. Censor us as much as you want. We cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. And just imagine us as a church, every individual, our hearts so captivated by the gospel of Christ that we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and heard. The sign as we close points to Jesus and the fuller, richer, final restoration of all things. The sermon speaks of Jesus. It's all about his glory, the fulfillment of the prophets and the call to repent and trust him with your life and with your death. And the opposition, however significant, can never silence Jesus. Conclusion, keep speaking and let your courage be fueled by the fact that God is sovereign He cares for all things, he's in charge of all things, and his spirit lives within you right now, if you're a believer. Not just so that your life is changed by Christ, but that other people's lives might be changed by Christ as well, as the gospel continues its march to the very ends of the world.